listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. All right, everybody, let's get started with, uh, we're going to read from Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. And so if you get uh, back to your tables, find your seats. There's tons of seats, by the way, in the very front. There's like two more tables left. Um, And so if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start out reading that. And I would love it if you turned in your own Bible, because we have this habit of not putting it on the screens, to encourage and maybe force you to to bring your own Bible, look at it in your own, uh, whether that Bible is digital or an actual book. Either is fine. Um, But we're in Hebrews chapter 12, and I just want to read this passage. Someone emailed it to me this week, and it's uh, been somewhat inspirational for this lesson that I've been thinking about. And it just says this, Hebrews 12, it's basically what we should be doing, what we should be considering. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which means maybe the, the angels, the saints, God himself, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do thank you for another day this morning. God, as we learn about theology, as we consider this topic of systematic theology, God, please guide us. Please be here in our hearts and our minds. Open us up to receive more of you and more of your truth and allow us to understand the principles you have set out for us and help us to understand them um, in ways that are helpful and truthful and encouraging to us as believers. We do love you and praise you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. It's so exciting. That extra hour of sleep, it's so glorious. You just have to remember this day when that spring day comes a couple months from now and we lose that hour. And it's, it's yeah, we should probably just cancel Sunday school that day because it's, anyways. Um, but does anybody uh, live in mess? Does anybody have a messy room, a messy house? Yeah, lots of hands go up. Maybe you're proud of it. In college, I knew this guy that was uh, extremely messy. I went to his house. We were kind of friends. He was kind of running around in our, in our church group, and so we had similar circles of friends. And one day I went to go pick him up, I think to bring him to church. And I remember going into his house, and he was kind of weary to, to let me in his house. At first he was like, dude, just wait on the porch. And I was like, all right. And then he realized it's kind of cold out. So he's like, ah, come on in. And so I went into his house, and it was a pigsty. It was like I this picture I just found on the internet. But there was just clothes everywhere, like as if laundry had never been done. There was like half-eaten bowls of cereal from like last week. You can imagine what his house smelled like. And there was just like, I haven't seen, the, the, have, is there a show out called Pack Rats or something like that? I'm sure, I'm sure it, was, it wasn't that bad. But still to this day, his house, out of all the houses I've ever been in and seen with my own eyes, his house was the worst. Just a disaster. Just totally un- unorganized, messy, disgusting, whatever. You know, you've been to the, maybe your room is like that and you're embarrassed to have people over, but it go, it kind of went beyond like, dude, your house, I, like it was like beyond like joking about it. Like, you know, when it's like so bad, you're not like, dude, your house is a mess, huh? It was like, I don't even want to say anything because like, this is disgusting. This is beyond 
being able to joke about it. And so as I got to know this guy, um, I, I went to his job and he worked as an auto mechanic. And one day, I think he was, uh, it's like uh, quite a few years ago, my college year, I think it was like 10 years ago. Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure exactly the story, but for some reason we went to his auto mechanic shop where he worked. He was one of the mechanics. And I think he was going to show me something on my car or something. But I remember pulling in to his shop, to his little station, because all the mechanics have different little stations. If you've ever been to uh, a, like a garage where there's a bunch of mechanics working. And his station was amazing. This, I just got a picture of like a well-organized toolbox. This doesn't do justice to his section. It was like ridiculous, like OCD like everything was organized and labeled and he had like every little tool had its own little like foam cutout like on this mat and you could like put every tiny little tool. Guys, girls, anybody know what I'm, does you like organized tools? I don't want to, mainly it's a guy thing. I don't know. I don't want, maybe girls have organized tools as well. But I, I just remember like being like dumbstruck, like jaw opening, like Whoa, this same dude who had a totally messy house has one of the most organized toolbox sections I've ever seen in my entire life. And so I was like, wow, this is amazing. I've never seen tools organized like this. Why do you keep it so organized is what I wanted to say. And I did say. And he said, well, uh, it's because, you know, if you take a few minutes to clean up and to organize every hour and then a few minutes at the end of the day to keep things organized, your tools organized, you can get more done. And if you don't keep it organized, then you spend time looking for a tool and, and can't find a tool. You have to go borrow a tool because you can't find your own tool. You lose tools. And he said, if everything is organized, everything's in its place, you get more work done as a mechanic. And so I was like, oh, sweet. And so I wanted to ask him, like, dude, what about your house? You know, like, how can your house, like, dude, you're so organized here in this section of your life and your, at your work, why is your house a disaster? And so I wanted to say, like, why is your house a rat's nest or a pigsty? But I ended up saying it, I think, in a nice way. I said, so, you know, your house isn't as organized as your toolboxes. Um, you know, why is that? And he said, his answer was just so simple and, like, duh. He was like, well, that, because I don't work from home, duh. Was like, I was like, oh, okay, duh, sorry to ask. But this idea that I want to like pick up on today and talk about, because we're going to relate this to theology, is, is that organization, having a system, people with organization and systems usually get more accomplished than people just kind of half-witted or just unorganized going about something. People that kind of have a systems mindset, people that can think through an assembly line, can do things much quicker than someone that doesn't give thought to what they're doing before they do it and just start doing it. And so today's lesson, actually this whole month, um, is systematic theology. And so this month, if you're kind of nerdy and you like teachy stuff rather than sermon stuff, if you rather you know read and organize than be inspired, well then this month is for you. It's a total nerd fest month. Ooh, all right, some of you. Um, and for those of you that, that, are, that are more like, I want to be inspired, um, we'll do another month at another time and, and, and carry on inspirational stuff. But this month, especially today, we're going to organize theology into a system. How fun does that sound? 
Yes, yeah. Um, I get excited about that too. I mean, this is I, I, the, or the way in which theology is organized and the system that we're going to present is pretty awesome. And so um, before we get started, just a few, I think just one announcement. And that is if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. I met a, pun, a ton of people at uh, the Shindig on Friday night that we do every first Friday of the month. And so we're so glad that you're here if you're one of those people. If you want to fill out a card, there should be cards on every table. They're yellowish. They say uh, the Mill Sunday School on it. If you want to get one of those, fill it out with as much or as little information as you want. You can, as you leave today, you could give it to us and um, you'll get a CD. It's the same CD that we may have given you on a Friday night if you came to the Mill, which is our main meeting. And uh, we'd love to give you that as a gift for saying thanks for coming. But... Um, Let's get started, shall we? All right. Let's start with some definitions. Um, We're going to define a few things, and then we're going to organize all of theology into a system. If if you're looking at notes, if you got a note, I always encourage getting notes on your way in because then it keeps you on track of where we're going and what we're talking about. But the definitions we're going to cover, if you wanted to, you could write these definitions down. I'm a fan of taking notes in church and at school. I get a lot out of writing it down. Even if I just write it down and then I lose, happen to lose my notes, I still, my, my mind works better when I write it down. I could see it. I kind of get my, you know, the kinesthetics of writing out things is good for me. So if you're a note taker, you could write down these four definitions and we'll go over each one. Because when someone says the word theology, um, this first word, it's a phrase up here, it says theology proper. When someone says theology, do you know what theology literally is if you knew the Greek words? Yeah, I hear it. The study of God, theos and logos. The theos means God. Logos is like the knowledge and uh, how we understand things and how, how things are given to us. And so theos and logos, literally in the English, we could say the study of God. And so theology proper, if you're writing down definitions, just write down the study of God. That's what theology proper means. And so if someone is being very literal literal and saying, what is theology? You could say the study of God. But rarely do people use the word theology to mean just the study of God himself. Usually, so the next one is just the theology. The, the Maybe a more common definition for theology would be the study of religion. If you're writing down definitions, theology. I, I, and so in this, this room, we'll kind of go back and forth between the two definitions of theology proper, meaning just the study of God himself, and this just much broader term of theology, meaning anything concerning religion, God, doctrinal truths, Christian faith, etc. Anything around surrounding those topics would just be fall into this, under this word theology as it's commonly, commonly used. Commonly used? Anyways, struggling. Um, let's move on. Systematic theology, um, I'm going to give you the definition of uh, a pretty famous theologian, uh, Burkhoff, and he says systematic theology is an orderly presentation of the doctrinal truths. And so what's different about this definition? Well, it's an orderly presentation of doctrinal truths. And so today, when you leave here today, you will know the system of systematic theology, which is kind of a very nerdy thing to know. 
But it's hopefully a very helpful thing to know. And you will be maybe the 1% of Christians that could explain what systematic theology is and how the system works and why the system is helpful. And as the original analogy goes, if you have a system, then maybe you can get more work done. And so that's the big part of today. And so the last word is systematicians. Everybody say it systematician. It sounds like mathematician, but it's a systematician. And a systematician is you. It's me today because we are going to be systematicians. Systematicians are the people that do systematic theology. How neat is that? So when you leave today and your mom's like, what'd you learn in Sunday school? You're like, mom, I'm a systematician now. I know systematic theology. So let's talk about the system. The system of systematic theology. And so some of you may just think, um, some of you are like, oh, isn't a system bad? Like the system, doesn't a system take away our freedom? Doesn't a system take away our expression? Doesn't a system take away our imagination? You know, if we, if, if we are forced into the system, then, you know, sh- doesn't it take away creativity? And to all that, I would say, No, not necessarily, because even artists have to follow rules of the art. Even maybe a better example is musicians have to follow the rules of music. You don't just go to a keyboard and start banging away with no less. I mean, you could do that, but it would sound like you were doing that. And maybe some of you know enough about music to know the high notes and the low notes and maybe know enough about tempo to make that sound cool without any, any, um, without any lessons. But you're still, if it sounds good, then you're at least following rules of tempo and chords and maybe the circle of fifths or scales. And so... The system of music, musicians follow the system of music. And so Beethoven could sound very different than B.B. King, who could sound very different than the Mumford and Sons, who could sound very different than Justin Bieber. (laughs) But so they're all different musicians, and yet they're all following the same rule. They're following the same system. They're 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 still like they're Justin Bieber is totally different than Beethoven, right? They're both artists. They're both having their own freedom of expression, but they're still both following the rules of music. And so in the same way, I think we as systematicians, because we're doing systematic theology, um, we can get a lot out of the system. It's like we have to do the system. We have to at least begin to organize our thoughts and, and definitions in such a way so that we can make principles sound good. We can do theology in such a way that it doesn't sound like just someone randomly banging on a piano without any uh, flow or, or idea to the rules of music. And so we're going to get to the system. You're probably asking yourself now, what is the system? We'll get to that in a second. The system comes from this homeboy. Doesn't he look cool? Ladies, isn't he a looker? Yeah, he's, his, this guy's name is Peter Lombard. He's long gone now. He lived in the 1100s. He uh, was a systematician. He uh, was a theological scholar. He taught at Notre Dame, not the Fighting Irish, but the original one in Paris. Um, and he, so he lived in the 1100s. He wrote this book, 
whereby which he kind of took the ideas of the time, the, the theology of the time, and he wrote about the topics. And he ordered it in such a way that this would become the order of systematic theology. And so it's not like he invented systematic theology, although sometimes he's kind of given that credit because he was the first one to write it down. Which just goes to say, like, if you have, if your friend has a really good idea, but you're the first one to write it down, who goes into history of having the credit? You do. So, so write ideas down, publish them. Um, so he's kind of the first one to do that, to, to write the ideas of theology down in such a way as to follow this order that would become the systematic theology order, the, the system of systematic theology. And so um, he put together that order. And by the way, this order um, kind of stood the test of time. In the Middle Ages, from about the 1100s when he wrote it, up to the 16th century, this book that Peter Lombard wrote, the systematic theology, this order of organizing and talking about the different topics of systematic theology was the most quoted Christian piece of literature for those hundreds of years with, with no exception other than the Bible. And so in the Middle Ages, this piece of work, Peter Lombard's work um, of the systematic theology became huge in shaping the, the theology of the Middle Ages with, of course, uh, shaped the theology of the Reformation, which of course th- shaped the theology of most of our denominations, which of course shaped the theology of where we are today and how we order systematic theology. So you're probably all sitting there just asking yourself, begging me to say what the system of systematic theology is, right? You're like, come on, give it to us. Just tell us what it is. So we're going to take that question we're going to put it on the shelf for just one second, and I'm going to give you a discussion question. Oh, dang. Um, and, and here's the discussion question. I want you to come up with a question, and I'll tell you what this question is in a second. But I want you to come up with random questions, like everybody uh, to get together either into groups or to pairs, and just to bounce ideas off of each other and come up with a pretty random question. So as a table or as a group, you will come up with a question. And the most random question will win. You will be the winners of the day for the most random question. But what we're going to do with all these random questions that you have is, unfortunately, we're not going to answer all of them today, but we're going to organize them. And I think by organizing the questions, we could then talk about each one of the topics, and then by which topic, talking about topics this month, we're going to answer most of the, of the most random questions that you have. Doesn't that sound awesome? Yeah, it sounds awesome to me too, because I just think many of us, and I, I, on the website, if you go to millonline.org, there's an Ask Dr. Professor Joe question, and I get a couple questions a month maybe, and they're just always from like left field, like random questions, but I could at least usually begin to say something about every question because I can first categorize this question into what systematic theological topic it is in and then give some truths about that topic. And by giving truths about the topic, I kind of in a roundabout way answer the question. Hopefully you'll see what I mean in a second, but um, group up if you're at a smaller table, just join a random table and, and come up with an interesting and relevant question concerning theology. Like if you're like, oh, let's just do random. What color would dog, God's dog be if God had a dog? That's a random question, but it doesn't have any relevance. So come up with an interesting and relevant question. Form up in the groups. One question per table or per group. Ready, get set, Go. 
All right, I would love to hear some of the random or interesting but relevant questions that you have. So I'll come out. We'll just hear. Uh, we'll, we're actually going to do some of these questions, talk about the system, then come back to the questions. So uh, we'll just hear from like a couple tables right now. Here's, here's a mic. started out as a joke. I think they're getting them. Is it, they got the mic on? Is it good? Okay. Started out as a joke, but it actually came into a serious conversation about God's the limit of God's power versus his himself. Okay. And could God microwave a frozen burrito so hot that he himself could not eat it? <laughs> like I said, we're not going to answer any of these questions. We're just going to organize them. And, and I w- we will be able to organize this question to at least bring it into the system. Okay. Um, ours is, could some animals have a greater capacity for some form of fellowship with God than others? Could some animals have, have what again? A greater capacity. Greater capacity for fellowship with God than, than others. others. That's a great question. That's not as, not as random as the burrito question, but maybe in its own sense as good. Yeah, over here. Okay, we'll, we'll do you and then Ben, and then we'll, we'll come back to this in a minute. <clears throat> yeah, I got a question that's been bothering me for a while. Did God create water? Did God create water? In Genesis chapter 1, um, it basically says he created the heavens and the earth yeah. by separating the waters. Yeah. So, so it, he creates the heaven and the earth, and he separates the water. But where did the water come from? Great question. Excellent. All right, last one, and then we'll... This is Ben Medina. This should be pretty good. He's a wild card, so... Well, I, we were all thinking, like, if... It talks about when God sleeps, you know, when he rests. Uh-huh. Did he ever have nightmares? Oh! If God rests, maybe he sleeps, does he have nightmares? <laughs> you have one really good one. Is it really good? It's, it's not random, but it's good. All right, last question by Sage. Does God still appoint the world's leaders today? Does God still appoint the leaders today? That's a good question. Yeah. It's pretty good, yeah. It's, it's maybe not as random. I think the burrito question may get the, the prize for the most random. But um, let's talk about the system because every one of the questions, I think, let's see, appointing leaders, burrito, uh, animals, water. And what did you ask, Ben? The what? Oh, yeah, God, if God has nightmares or not. Every one of those questions, we might not be able to answer some of those questions what, from what we know as Christians about the Bible and what God has revealed to us. But we, every one of these questions, we can at least organize and categorize and then talk about the category and the topic by which that question was organized into. And by doing that, we might do, not directly answer the question, but have something to say concerning the question itself. And so, let's talk about the system of systematic theology. Finally, remember we, we put the, what is the system on the shelf? Let's take it off the shelf. And now we have three points. And so if you ever take systematic theology, either at a Bible college or a seminary, what you'll probably take is three 
different classes, three different semesters. That's how I took it when I went to Fuller Seminary. That's how probably many of you will take it if you go to King's College or whatever Bible college you're going to. Systematic theology will probably be broken down into three classes, and that's the classical way by which the systematic theology is broken down into. And so if you're looking at your notes, um, if you were given a piece of paper when you came in, which you should always get one of these, um, it says the system, and then it has nine blanks. And so we're going to fill in all nine of these blanks, but the three uh, would be one through three, four through six, and then seven through eight would be the three. And so they're, they're broken up equally there. But let's, let's get right to it and talk about the nine systematic theological topics. And so these are the topics by which um, systematic theologies would organize themselves. And so I brought in um, a couple different, this is one uh, systematic theological textbook. This one's by Thomas Aquinas. And, and you could see that I've put in little labels. If, you, if you're really interested after Sunday school, you can come up and look at the labels. And every one of these systematic theological books goes by this order that I'm about to show you of these nine systematic theological topics. And so this one has the little, uh, the little tabs in it. This one's by Thomas Aquinas, who lived in the uh, Middle Ages. This one's by Millard Erickson. He's kind of a Baptist, reformed theologian. This is the textbook. If any of you were in or are in the school of worship, this is the book we will use or did use. And so in this book, it's all organized by topic as well. And you can see him right there. Uh, this book, I haven't got around to putting the labels in it yet. I just made little bins in the pages. This one is, you probably heard of this one, Doctrine by Mark Driscoll. Has anybody ever seen this one or know Mark Driscoll? He wrote this book. It's a systematic theological textbook that follows the order, follows the system I'm about to give you. This one is uh, Theology for the Community God, Stanley Grinch, my personal favorite one, and it's got the tabs in it. This one is Wayne Grudem. Anybody ever heard of Wayne Grudem? Brady Boyd's a big fan of, of Wayne Grudem. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty big deal in the charismatic world because he's charismatic, but he wrote a systematic theology. And so this is a great text of the systematic theological subjects in order. See the tabs. And there's another one. I have uh, uh, Rodman Williams, Renewal Theology. This, he's uh, charismatic as well. And he has, oh, I have the tabs in there. Anyways, so all these books are all systematic theological books because they follow the order of systematic theology. So you're all probably screaming inside, what's the order? What's the system? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's about to tell us. (laughs) Anyways, that's what I'm feeling. So we're going to go through all nine. This is number one. If you're filling these out on your notes, the first one is prolegomena, number one prolegomena. If you're writing them down, you would put in prolegomena for the number one in the blank there. And what prolegomena is, you could probably look at it and think about the word itself, and you'll probably realize the word looks a lot like uh, prologue, right? The word looks, uh, it has the word pro in it and lego, which pro means before, lego in Greek means to say. So it's basically what you say before you're going to say it. It's the introduction. And so every one of these systematic theological books that I have up here, any one that you could probably get your hands on, would have an introduction. It would have a starting place. And where you start says a lot about maybe where you're going. And so we're quickly going to go over these nine topics. And then, by the way, the rest of this month we'll spend going over each one of these. So right now it's just a bird's eye view the, the nine systematic theological topics. So if you feel like we're going quick, 
we are. We're going to, go to go through all nine. So prolegomena, what's it mean? Introduction, prologue, the beginning statements. Great. The next one is theology. Number two, theology. And this, um, I, we started with the definition of theology proper. This would be theology proper, which literally means study of God. And so this isn't the, the common use of the word theology when we just say, oh, it's the study of religion and anything concerning religion. No, this actual topic, number two, is theology, the study of God. And so you could look at every one of these uh, systematic theology books that I brought in. These are just the ones that I personally own. There's a bunch more out there by different authors. But every one would begin with an introduction, and then every one would start talking about God. And if they don't start talking about God, they start talking about something else, well then... They, there's probably a reason why they're, they're talking about something else. They're talking about it out of order. I think a f- couple of these, like I know this one, Erickson's uh, has one thing that's out of order, but it's like they has, has pneumatology switched with soteriology, and he, ha- he does that for a reason. He switches the order for a reason, and he kind of talks about that. So, but, but for the most part, without exception, sometimes there are exceptions, most theologians follow this order. They'll talk about uh, introduction, then they'll talk about God and who God is. And so some of the questions you asked uh, would, would fall into this. The table over here that asked about the burrito. Could God microwave a burrito so hot he couldn't touch it would be kind of a question about the attributes, the characteristics of God. So that topic would fall under theology, God. I think the other question about if God arrests, then if he sleeps, then if he sleeps, does he dream? And if he dreams, does he have nightmares? Would also fall under this category of God. And so as this month progresses, we'll talk about theology and talk about some of the things concerning who God is, his attributes, the omnis of God, omnipresent, omnipotent, etc. And we'll talk about some of the things um, uh, like, could God microwave a burrito? The, the more classical question, maybe you've heard it before, is could God... Uh, make a rock so big he couldn't move it? Have you heard that one before? So the burrito seems to be a question like the, the rock question, but nonetheless, kind of a riddle about the attributes and nature of God. So anyways, number three, you ready? Number three is creation. These systematic theologians would talk about creation next. And of course, creation is the things God made. And we uh, will we'll talk about this question uh, later this month. But the one question that, uh, um, th- that was asked about the water, where did the water come from? Did God create water? Was water preexistent? Well, we'll talk about that. We'll answer that question when we get to this topic of creation. And we'll talk about what God created and what he didn't create. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that question would fall under that topic of creation. And so, so far, you could kind of see the order of systematic theology. I don't know if you see it, but I see it. I mean, you would first talk about, you would first give an introduction. And if you're going to talk about all things related to theology and God and religion, you would probably begin to talk about God, right? And then what would you talk about? Well, if, if you, after you're done talking about God, you would talk about the things that he created, right? And then if you're talking about the things he created, well, then maybe the next one that you would talk about is a subset of the things that he created, which would be anthropology, the study of humans, people. Yeah, and in this question, somebody asked, uh, I think our school of worship friend asked the question, um, does God create some animals that, that have better fellowship with God than others? 
Great question. This question would probably either go under creation or anthropology if you started considering that maybe humans have more fellowship with God than cats because cats are evil, right? Everybody knows that. <laughs> Anyways, um, so that question would at least, we would at least categorize it under either anthropology or creation depending on the nuances of that particular question and where you wanted to go with it. So God, he created and he created humans. That's a subset of creation. By the way, some theologians just have anthropology as a subset of creation, not its own chapter or section of its own. But then you begin to realize that if we're talking about humans, you might talk about the problem of evil and evil entering into the world. And then, of course, you talk about the, this, this human that came to earth to save the world. His name is Jesus. Um, and so the next topic would be Christology, the study of Christ, study of the Messiah. And if you talk about Christ and what Christ came to do, what did he come to do? Came to save us from our sins, set us free. Well, then the next topic, number six, would be soteriology. That's a big word. It just means the study of salvation. And so the, the, the topics, at least in my mind, at least progress in a way that, that I, I can understand why it's progressing this way. You would talk about an introduction before you did anything else. Then you would talk about God. If you talk about God, then you should talk about what he created. Subset of that would be humans. Uh, and what, what, there's a problem, that this fall. And so we need saving. Christ came to save us. And so we're beginning to see that this, these topics, at least in my mind, may probably in your mind, go and build on to one another. The next one is pneumatology. Does anyone know what pneumatology means? Study of Holy Spirit, yeah. And so after we're saved, um, or while we're being saved, at the same point of salvation, or as a secondary thing to salvation, we encounter, we get uh, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so that's the next top topic. It's under this topic that we would talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about who the Holy Spirit is, and we would talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, moving on from there, um, we would talk about um, the church. If we're, if we're all you know, saved and have the Holy Spirit, then we would talk about us as a community. We would talk about maybe church history under ecclesiology. We would talk about um, traditions. We would talk about how the church is one. We would talk about things concerning the community of Christ. And then finally, number nine. Are you ready for the final one? It makes sense that it's last. Maybe some of you already know that this one is last. It's uh, eschatology, which is study of the end times. And so it makes sense that it would be last, at least in my mind, right? Study of the end times. It would be last. And so eschatology is not just the study of the end times, like the Left Behind series, but you would also talk about death, you would talk about heaven, hell, afterlife, etc., all within eschatology. So take a look at this list real quick. Marinate in it, figuratively, of course, but just look at the nine points. There they all are, lined up. We've just talked about each one. Um, maybe some of you could, could I'm not going to quiz you, but you could look away and you could order them. You could say prolegomena, theology, creation, anthropology, Christology, soteriology, pneumatology, uh, ecclesiology, and finally, eschatology. Did I get all of them? I think I did. Okay, good. Um, and so they kind of make sense, and I've been teaching this uh, long enough to, to kind of know the order and how the order progresses. And so if you look at this list, we have 
done, if you've been around the Mill Sunday School long enough, you might know that we have done each and every single one of these topics as a whole month at one time or another. We've spent a whole month on number five, Christology. We've spent uh, whole months, plural, on eschatology in different ways. We've spent a whole month on ecclesiology. We've spent a whole month. seems like we uh, do a whole month at least once every couple years on pneumatology. If you go to our website, the Mill Online, or if you go to New Life, probably is a better place to go, then click on sermons, then go to Mill Sunday School sermons. You could podcast, and if you click on more, I think it goes back to all the way back to 2007, and you can listen to all the podcasts between 2007 and now and realize, or you can just flip through them and see that we've spent entire months on theology proper. We've spent, we spent, I think it was last year, was it around this time that we spent an entire month on creation? And we talked about evolution and creation and uh, what God created and how he created. Um, the only one that I think, I don't know, that we've clearly labeled as spending a whole month on is anthropology, number four. But we have many times talked about the problem of evil, which is maybe a subset of anthropology and how sin entered into the world. We've talked, we spent a whole month on creation. We talked a lot about the image of God and how we as humans are created in the image of God. So we've definitely covered anthropology in the years of Mill Sunday Schoolage, but uh, I, I just don't know that we've actually called a whole month anthropology. But all the rest, people, we've spent an entire month on at some point in Mill Sunday School history. And I don't know that we've ever spent an entire month on systematic theology in general and kind of been able to step back and look at the list from a bird's eye point of view. So this entire month, if it feels like we're going 90 plus miles per hour racing through all the topics of systematic theology, it's because we are. That's what this month is about. It's, it's the taking a look at the whole thing, the whole order of it. And so what we'll do this month, I think what we'll do today is we'll get to prolegomena. And that's about all we'll get with the, with the 15 minutes that we have left. And then next time, I think we'll talk about theology, creation, anthropology, and Christology. And then the time after that, we'll talk about soteriology, pneumatology, ecclesiology, and eschatology. And then the time after that is uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And so there'll be no Sunday school. So there's only three weeks this month. And so we're going to try to race through all of systematic theology in this month, and it will be very fast. We'll be moving between topics very quickly. One second, we'll be talking about theology. Next second, we'll be talking about God and what he created. Next second, we'll be talking about humans. The next second, we'll be talking about Christ. And so that's how this month will progress. And so for each topic, what we'll talk about is this analogy of closed-handed and open-handed issues. Does anyone, has you, have you heard this analogy before? If you've been around the mill, you've probably heard Aaron Stern, uh, our former pastor of the mill, talk about closed-handed and open-handed issues. And I think it's a very easy-to-understand analogy that I'm now going to use. Um, but to give credit where credit's due, I think Mark Driscoll uh, kind of came up with the open-handed, closed-handed thing. But before Mark Driscoll, I'm not sure who came up with the analogy and who really gets the credit. But is it about the credit? Nah. So let's just talk about what it is. So open-handed and closed-handed issues. There, so we'll go back over prolegomena, theology, creation, anthropology, Christology, soteriology, pneumatology, ecclesiology, and eschatology, and talk for each topic. We will talk about the closed-handed and open-handed issues. What are they? Well, closed-handed issues would be issues that we as Christians would close our hand around figuratively and say, these are important. These are so dear to us that we're going to grasp them and hold them 
tightly so that we would not lose them figuratively. Open-handed issues are issues that like, well, we could disagree with other churches. We could disagree with them about this. But at the end of the day, we all as Christians would have certain issues that we would close our hands around and say, these are so important that without these issues, you're probably not a Christian. So any one of us in here could visit churches. We could go on a church visiting party every Sunday and go to Baptist churches. We could go to Presbyterian churches. We could go to Methodist churches. We could go to crazy charismatic churches. We could go to, to churches around the city. And, and we, hopefully, all those churches would have the close-handed issues in agreement. Like we might, maybe we would argue with the Baptists and be like, oh, you Baptists, Oh, you do things differently. And we would talk to the Presbyterians and be like, oh, you Presbyterians are so silly. And they would look at us and be like, oh, you new lifers are so crazy. And we maybe argue about some things concerning theology. Maybe a Baptist would argue with a Methodist uh, over Calvinism and Arminianism, if you know what that means, over free choice and sovereignty. And they might go back and forth. But at the end of the day, we would all have the same hopefully the same close-handed issues in mind, same uh, stance on close-handed issues that we could, you know, of course, go to a Baptist church picnic or Methodist and have this big organization where we would all figuratively hold hands in worship and worship the same God because we all have these same uh, stances on the close-handed issues, whereas we could disagree and discuss the open-handed issues. For instance, um, well, I guess I, I don't want to get into any for instances because that's what we're going to be doing with the rest of the month. We're going to be going over all nine of these topics and talking about the, the close-handed versus open-handed issues. And so with that, we'll just jump right in and talk about prolegomena. So what we're doing, so I just gave the whole list, the whole system if you're like, what's the system of systematic theology? Like if your mom on the ride home today is like, what'd you learn in Sunday school? And you're like, mom, I'm a systematician today because we did systematic theology. And she's like, well, what's that? And we talked about the order, the system of systematic theology. And she said, well, what's the system of systematic theology? You could show your mom your notes or just have this memorized because many of you are good at memorizing things. And you could talk to her about the whole system. And then she could say, well, did you talk about any of them in particular? And you would say, yes, we talked about the first one today, prolegomena. So that's what we're going to talk about. So does everybody have something to say to their moms when they're on the ride home today? Does anybody ride home with their mom from church? Okay, a couple of them. All right. Sweet. I'm glad. I mean, it's not Mother's Day, but you know, anyways. Um, so, prolegomena. What's prolegomena again? Introdu- introductions. Uh, pr- pr- prologue. Uh, yeah, it's the introduction. So, the close-handed and open-handed issues about prolegomena. Um, everybody, um, all theologians start off with, if they're writing a systematic theological book, they start somewhere. I like where this guy starts off with. Um, this guy's name is Thomas Aquinas. And if you read Thomas Aquinas's, I mean, look how big this is. It's, it's two books. It's not just one book. So this is probably the biggest one I have. And the, the printing is very small and the page is very thin for this particular book. Um, Thomas Aquinas begins with um, the proof for the existence of God. Page one, chapter one, he begins with um, the existence of God can be proved in five ways, which is a pretty cool way 
to start systematic theology. He proves the existence of God with his five ways. And if you don't know what those are, they're pretty awesome. Um, It's called the five cosmological proofs for the existence of God. You can go Wikipedia it later and try to understand it. And once you begin to understand it, it's a pretty awesome argument for the existence of God. But he starts off with the existence of God and then begins to say that God revealed himself to us. So two things are true. There is a God and he revealed himself to us. That's where uh, John Calvin, anybody a John Calvin fan? Calvinism? Anybody? Nobody? There's a few. Okay. All right. So if you're a John Calvin fan, he wrote a, this huge systematic theology called the Institutes. You should get it sometime and just look at how big it is. You could use it as like a, a boat anchor. <laughs> I was thinking of something funnier, but that's all I got. Sorry. Um, anyways, it's really big. And John Calvin begins with, we can know about God. And he begins with this beautiful analogy of his uh, Institutes, chapter one, section one. He begins with, um, you as a person on a very bright day could look down at the ground and you could see the ground. You could see little worms and the grass and leaves, etc. So you're looking down and you could get very prideful and think, oh, I've got all this figured out. I can see and the grasses and the little worms and the dirt. I could see this and I can understand this. But your, your eyes would be blinded if you looked up to heaven and saw the glory of the sun. Your eyes would be blinded because God's awesomeness can't totally be understood. He has revealed certain things to us, but not everything. We can by no means understand the fullness and the greatness of God, but we can understand some things. And so that's where John Calvin begins his prolegomena. Um, This one, this other one by Millard Erickson, that's a pretty sweet first name, don't you think? Millard? I think so. He begins with the Bible. And so he begins with, God has revealed himself through the context of Scripture and everything that we should know and believe about theology, Christ, God is revealed to us in Scripture. Therefore, he begins with Scripture is inspired. And he begins by defending the Bible and then talking about how Scripture is at the key of doing theology. And so, going back to prolegomena and the open-handed, close-handed issues, I think a close-handed issue for us as Christians concerning the topic of prolegomena is that God has revealed himself to us. So if you're talking to someone who would probably not be a Christian and they would say something like, oh yeah, there's a God, but he has not revealed himself to us. We cannot know anything about God. You would just kind of look at them and be like, dude, you know, he has revealed something to us. And you might, as a Christian, say, um, probably this is another close-handed issue, but you would talk about, well, God has revealed himself through the context of the Bible, and the Bible is inspired, and we can know about God and who he is through the Bible. So that's kind of an introductory, close-handed issue, that God, of course, exists, that God has revealed himself to us, and we could understand something about God through the context of what we call Scripture, the Bible. And so th- that would be a kind of a close-handed issue concerning prolegomena. An open-handed issue concerning prolegomena may be how exactly God does uh, speak to us. You know, some denominations like New Life, we would say that God speaks today. We would believe in prophecies. Every once in a while, we'll have a prophecy um, in, in, in the service, and we'll say, you know, someone will come up and say they believe that God is speaking 
to them, for us as a congregation. And so here's a word from the Lord for us today, for encouragement. And so we believe that God speaks today. Whereas some other denominations, maybe Reformed traditions, would say, no, God is done speaking in that way, like in prophecies or in visions. God spoke, and we wrote it down in the text of the Scripture, but they don't think God speaks anymore. And so we can go to those churches and still worship the same God, but that would be an open-handed issue. But the closed-handed issue is that God did reveal himself to us Period. And there's, you know, you could talk and discuss and debate about how God did that. But the close-handed issue, I really think, about prolegomena is that God exists and he has revealed himself to us. And so, let's conclude today. Uh, We're kind of ending kind of abruptly. But um, you realize what we're going to do is go back through these, I guess, the, the rest of the eight that we have and spend some time talking about the rest of the eight systematic theological topics. But we'll close today. Um, I'll give you a discussion question if I could pull it back up. Let's see. There we go. Um, The discussion question uh, for today, I'll give you a discussion question. Then we'll pray to close. And if you have time, we're ending just a tad early. If you want to discuss this question, you can. If not, you're, you're free to leave. But the discussion question is to pick one of the topics at your table. If you're interested in discussing this, pick one of the topics and enlist what you think are going to be the close-handed issues that we are going to talk about as the Mill Sunday School later this month. So we just talked about prolegomena. So pick one of the other eight topics, like maybe Christology, and and say, what are the close-handed issues that we think we're going to talk about in in here as the Mill Sunday School? So let's close to pray, and then uh, I'll, I'll either let you go or you could discuss this question at your table. So God, we do come to you. We thank you for order. We thank you for systems. God, we thank you that you are are a God, uh, not of confusion, but you are a God of order. You are a God that planned out things. You are a God that, 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 that we can worship, that we know is a good, loving, faithful God that, that revealed himself to us. And so, God, we leave here encouraged. Not, oh God, I, I pray that you don't overwhelm us with, with all of theology at once, but God, that you allow us to understand what you want to reveal to us as your followers, as your believers. So we praise you and thank you. And everybody said, amen.